0: you <laughs> Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins Billy Pelser has a nice home Billy, is that you? Yeah, mom, it's me A nice job A nice girl If you're not doing anything this Thursday night Maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to And loving parents Who are about to give him You're gonna like this No, 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 don't shake it we're gonna have to open it now won't we'll wait till Christmas the most unusual gift he ever got what is it? it's your new pet come on Barney be a good dog my dad gave it to me but there are a few things to keep in mind if you expose it to the light you may hurt it if you get it wet it will multiply all that from water? they got wet? yeah plain water and most important no matter how much they beg never never Let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. They become clever, mischievous. What's going on here? And dangerous. Pemblins, eh? Little monsters. Right. Hundreds of... Them. Well, I, I don't know, maybe thousands. They've been here, too. Billy, what are these things? Where do they come from? Look, I know it sounds crazy, I know, but in a few hours, you're going to have a major disaster on your hands. Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante. They'll be expecting you
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Pod and The Pendulum, where we are finally getting back to what we do best, covering franchise horror, one movie in one episode at a time. Took a month off in November to recharge the batteries a bit. Uh, we posted a couple episodes from the patron feed, and we also like kind of reset the show a bit in October. like We did kind of these shorter, shoot-the-shit-style episodes, which... Um, I really like to doing and want to incorporate more of those into what we do going forward, but really like you're coming here because we talk franchises and it's been since September in wrapping up the conjuring uh, universe that we kind of like did one. So it's been a few months. It's kind of crazy. Um, I'm excited to get back to it right now. And what's really fun for me is we've got a movie this month that represents what might be the pinnacle of kid-friendly Christmas horror. It's the season, guys. It is that season with the 1984 classic Gremlins directed by Joe Dante. Well, I cannot do this alone. So I have two fantastic guests join me for the discussion this week. First up, we have the co-host of the Movies for Life podcast and columnist for Bloody Disgusting. It's a Bloody Disgusting? Did I get that right? Yeah, I'm sure There's, it is. Okay, yeah. let me redo that, though, because I shouldn't have that part <laughs> in. Again. No problem. So I've got two fantastic guests to join me for the discussion this week. First up, we have the co-host of the Movies for Life podcast and columnist for Bloody Disgusting, Mr. Brian Kuiper. Welcome back to the show. Hey, it's great to be back. Feels like coming home, you know? (laughs) It's been too long. When was the last time you were on? It's been... Gosh, I episode two?
2: No, I, not, not, that <laughs> not quite that long. Oh, I remember what it was. It was a uh, Final Destination two.
1: The, okay,
2: so, it's so a year.
1: A it's almost a year. Yeah, so I think we started the year with Final Destinations. Yeah, so. I think okay. we
2: were just starting Movies for Life when yeah, um, you yeah, hadn't posted
1: when, the even posted an episode yet.
2: I yeah, and our first episode was right after
1: Christmas. So yeah, we're okay. <laughs>
0: it's, it's, wow, it's, it's been, been a, a bit. Long time. It's been a yeah. bit.
1: All right. We also have coming on for us, we have the co-host of the Disenfranchise podcast, Stephen Foxworthy, coming on once again. I think it's only been since The Nun that you were on, so like summertime.
3: I've been on like three times in the last year. I know. I so I'm, I'm I guess picking up Brian Slack maybe I don't know maybe <laughs> maybe trying to
2: catch up with me trying to get that gold
1: coat right well, I
3: I'm just trying to be a part of the five timers club that's all I want There you really. go.
1: Is that what I have to I have to send like a little jacket or a little lapel yeah. pin I just apple. need my I just Excellent. need my
3: smoking jacket at that point Excellent. entrance into the the uh, the pot and the pendulum yep. five timers club Yeah
1: Well that would get you like basically uh, entrance to the room that I share with my rabbit So <laughs> if you don't mind the smell of hay and bunny poop which bunny poop to be quite honest smells surprisingly good
3: <laughs> i mean i live with dogs so it's got to be better okay. than dog poop mm-hmm. so
1: gotta be better. dog poop does not smell bunny poop is surprisingly like not awful and if you ask my dog who likes to eat the bunny poop it yeah. must taste pretty good too <laughs> i have not tried bunny poop <laughs>
3: Well, I look forward I think to your thoughts has. on it when you do. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. Well, it is. We are recording this on Thanksgiving Eve. So maybe that'll be the hot new side dish. Like you have like your hey. mashed potatoes, your stuffing, your green beans, and like, what's this? Bunny poop Escargot? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is bunny poop. Oh. And you didn't right. even
3: know. You ate half the
1: plate and you didn't even know. You didn't even know it was delish. It was absolutely delish. (laughs) A little bit of truffle oil, you know, a little bit of salt, pepper.
3: It's got a barnyardy kind of flavor on the
1: back end. Oh, it's great. (laughs) Oh, she's a good bunny. Nothing bothers her. All right. So we are going to talk gremlins tonight, gentlemen. And before we get into the movie, let's dive just briefly into a little bit of like the behind the scenes of it. Just for like a couple minutes here. Um Movie is written by Christopher Columbus, a gentleman who's really not well known for like super subversive fare. You know, I would say like his thing is kind of like very kind of syrupy family movie, Mm -hmm. family friendly stuff. You know, he's done the home alone movies, Mm -hmm. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's stone. Like that's kind of the wheelhouse that he lives in. Um, Pen's the earliest script for this. And it is well received enough to land on Steven Spielberg's desk. Much darker in tone originally, and I think some of us, you know, if you're familiar with the movie, you're aware of it. Um, but if this got shot as it was originally written, this is a hard R. Like this is a complete like hard R. Like this is cover of Fangoria oh, yeah. level of of material. Back mm. when you know that was like gore zone type stuff all the time. You know, you have like Billy's mom's head bouncing down a flight of stairs. Yep. Um, the thing I didn't know like researching this one, the original script had Gizmo turning into Spike. Correct. He would have been the head um bad Gremlin in that, which is kind of really like that would have traumatized children for generations. Yeah. That was you know? that was
3: the magic of Spielberg. Spielberg is the guy that's like you, you, can't, no. you can't do that. You you can't do that, Joe, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And you kind of wonder, like, do you think like, you you know, Spielberg has like George Lucas looking over his shoulder. They're co-writing, you know, temp, uh, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple. Oh, my God. I was a temple of the dog. The <laughs> Temple of Doom. You know, Spielberg is writing Hot Jams with Chris Cornell. You know, right. they're kind of like doing that mid-temple <laughs> alternative thing a decade early. Um, but you think like Lucas like taps – um spielberg on the shoulder and he's like you know i know your movies make a lot of money let me show you the ranch and special effects studio that like these toys have created exactly you know? yeah <laughs> let me yeah. show you you know what what a three-inch action figure can do and he's like if you turn <laughs> gizmo into spike like you, your toy revenue is gonna you kind of wonder if that drives the bus a little bit but, well you know, know he made a lot of money off of ewoks that's for sure yeah for he sure. did absolutely. <laughs> sure. absolutely just I heard he made a lot of money kind of pimping them out actually if you knew the right people. Oh. You get those e walks. <laughs> uh, all yum right.
3: yub is all I have to say to that. That's that's
1: that's the translation and <laughs> that means come on my chest I guess is apparently the actual. <laughs> oh my god. This is why I usually have a co-host. We've gone State. off the rails so quickly and <laughs> really? I'm absolutely here
3: for it. Here for it. Okay. Yeah. What is this one of the uh one of the Podman Pendulum script reads or This is right. Oh my god. That yeah. would have been
1: we, we would have well we, we each get 40 minutes in. Usually. All right. But Spielberg he does love the idea of this movie, but after he directs ET, he's like I am not directing another movie with puppets. Like absolutely not. So he he offers the project to Joe Dante, which he he knew him after Universal tried to sue him for Piranha, saying it was, you know, too close to Jaws. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like many things that go to court, like a friendship blossoms. And after Piranha and after Twilight Zone, the movie, you know, he's like, look, you're a really talented director and you didn't kill three people on set. So I think like you are the person... That is not a high history. bar to clear, really. It's I mean, not right. I mean, and people who know me know I love John Landis, yeah. but anyway. sure, no, I mean, still, but- God, I, I should probably, I won't, I should, but I won't, I won't cut that. And Dante, Dante, he gets the script, and he's like. I think you sent this to the wrong person. Like, I don't know why, you know, he's like down to his last hundred bucks. He's like, I don't know why you're, but no wait, they wanted him. And Dante was hesitant. He was like, look, I know the rumors on poltergeist. And I know that like the rumor is Toby Hooper directed it. Like, I don't want someone who's going to be over my shoulder pretty much the whole time. And Spielberg was like that, nah, do your thing. And he pretty much by and large left him. I think you said they was on set for like maybe a day. So
3: one thing I do, while we're talking about the script, one thing I do uh, want to mention is something that I had heard is that they actually sent the script to Tim Burton.
1: Yes, you're at right.
3: One point, Talk about and that. He was someone who was uh, originally considered, which I always mm-hmm. find really funny because one of the first pers- people they sent the Batman script to was Joe Dante. Joe Dante. Mm-hmm. And so what – and the, the other thing I find really interesting about it is that those movies, Gremlins and Batman, became such big hits for Warner Brothers yeah. And it was so difficult for them to find anybody willing to direct the sequel
0: mm-hmm. that
3: in order to get these two men to direct the sequels to those movies, they basically had to say, look, you can do whatever you want, yeah. literally whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 you can make whatever sequel you want. And we will say out of your hair and we will give you just a dump truck full of money. Yeah. And they both turned in like their premier auteurist statements yep. in these like really bananas off the wall sequels that... Mm-hmm. I might argue are better than the originals. Yes. Within
1: a year of one another, too. Like because Gremlins yeah. Two is six years after this.
3: It is. And yeah,
1: I did not watch Gremlins Two. I've never watched it from start to finish until maybe a year ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Like it's what weird thing. Like I still have never seen Ghostbusters Two, and I love Ghostbusters. Mm. It's this weird thing where like I feel like I just kind of quote unquote grew out of those movies a little bit and never caught them. Strange thing. but I'm looking forward we're gonna be talking gremlins to uh, our next episode. So I have a lot of fun thoughts on that movie, which is such a blast. It's a it's a treasure. Oh, man it's, I, it's
3: one of my all-time favorites Gremlins. I, too. I
2: yeah. watched it uh, for the first time in a while uh, t- today and, mm-hmm. and I was I, and I had, I've seen it a few times, but I think, it was for the first time it actually surpassed the original for me. Wow. And and I liked it because I was like, wow, he's really doing some crazy stuff in that.
1: It's, you know, between that and the burbs and the howling, Mm -hmm. he has such this, like Joe Dante has this really wicked subversive sense of humor Yeah,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, that you don't always catch on first blush. Like it's not, Mm -hmm. it doesn't like hit you over the head, like an anvil. You know what I mean? It's not. And then the more you watch it and the more, I think the older you get and the more you kind of understand, like, and maybe you're as an adult, you're on this, I'm more on the same wavelength as terms of what he's, he's going for and what he's trying to skewer. You're right. Like, it's really wonderful. And it's kind of like biting the hand that feeds you a little Mm -hmm. bit as well. Mm -hmm. Like, all right. Yeah. Um, Which is something that
2: the Simpsons would start doing in the years after that. You know, it was very much always just kind of skewering Fox, you know, yeah, <laughs> whereas yeah. this is doing the same thing with Warner Brothers. And yeah. I, But we're talking about Gremlins 2. We're talking. You're not know? talking about sure. Gremlins 2. We're talking about the first you know, one, right? That's a, it's, it's a really
1: interesting <laughs> point. Like where the yeah. Simpsons yeah. in the 90s and early 2000s in particular, it really kind of took the place of – like it was the key place to go for like satirical humor,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Um,
1: and it, you know, you weren't seeing it so much in in movies anymore. Mm-hmm. You weren't seeing it, you know, television in the '90s was way more earnest overall. Um, and it was like really like okay, like we're gonna do, you know, bite the hand that feeds you humor better than anyone. So mm-hmm. why even bother at that
3: point? Well, and that's yeah. also so- when they've got that incredibly stacked writers' room too. Oh yeah. like Schwartzwelder sure. and. Dana Gould, Conan um, right. O'Brien, all those guys are in there at that point, And you're just like, I mean, that's incomparable. What can you do? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I think, you know, in drawing another parallel to the Simpsons, I think this movie and that show um, both have this, they just stack the frame with jokes. yes Mm -hmm. Yes. you know and really both gremlins movies do that Mm -hmm. the first one too i I even read an article by harlan ellison who was just like who was ripped the movie apart he just hated this movie (laughs) and um he um he one of the things he hated about it was it was just filled with all these jokes in the background you know sort of like these in jokes about you know because like when when uh ran peltzers on the phone you know calling his wife from the uh Mm -hmm. from the inventors meeting it's like the competition's Mm -hmm. really really stiff here and then there's you know the person from the time machine and there's Robbie the robot and all these all these in
1: jokes these science fiction jokes going on in the background i caught like little things today that i've never seen before like when the gremlins are playing poker and the one that's cheating has, like, two aces on his ear, you know, <laughs> just, like, stacked up. Um, I'd love that. Yeah, um, all right, but we'll, we'll talk more about that shortly because um, mm-hmm. I've got some thought. I think we all have some thoughts. Um, yeah, yes. You know, the original idea, like, hey, let's shoot this, like, on location during the winter, and then they realize really quick, like, if we want, you know, for the amount of money we have – we got to do it on a sound stage in a studio. Otherwise, like we won't have any of the money to make like the puppets work. Mm-hmm. So it's filmed in the universal lot. This would become the home of Back to the Future's Hill Valley. Uh, and the set design, along with a lot of the things in this movie, totally meant to invoke It's a Wonderful Life. It oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes just oh, okay. you know mm-hmm. it's impossible to watch this movie and maneuver through the streets of kingston falls and not be reminded of bedford falls um oh yeah can't do it
2: well i mean even so, in the names of the towns it's clearly yeah. intentional you know yeah. <laughs> that they're both some sort of falls right
1: yeah and mm-hmm. you see things like like some of the businesses you to like trust in the savings alone, and like mm-hmm. billy's a banker and mm-hmm. it uh it has that very like uh Capra esque kind of feel to it throughout a lot of this, a lot of this movie. Yeah. Um, speaking of which I kind of like listeners want to drop like a Christmas day bonus episode of it's a wonderful life. Like I feel like we should do that. Um, I love that movie. Cool. We're covering it on oh movies for life <laughs> this month. I can't, I watch it in July this year. Cause I just like, I need to watch just this movie tonight. Near. And like, uh, immediately like at five points in the movie started like openly weeping like that <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah so okay uh credit chris wallace who had worked on piranha and raiders of the lost ark for designing these creatures um, he's the gentleman that brought like the mogwai and the gremlins to life Uh, The script called for like hordes of monsters. At one point, I think the script is like, there are thousands of these things kind of running through the streets. And, you know, some of these, you know, the gremlins required like dozens of puppeteers to operate them. Mm -hmm. The original idea was they would be about the size. The gremlins would be about the size of the Mogwai. Like they wouldn't actually grow, but because of the number of puppets they were going to use and how intricate it was like how many people needed to operate them. They're like, we actually need something that's taller and more fluid has limbs. Uh, otherwise it'll be like impossible. Um, but I think part, a huge reason why this movie works, where if we did it today, it may not work so well is there's a tangible quality. Like you can reach mm-hmm. out and touch gizmo. You can touch the, the gremlins. Like they're not, It's not CGI and not that CGI is always terrible and can't, but I think that you, the way your brain works when, you know, like, I know this is a a puppet, but at the same time, like I could reach out and touch this thing. It's a physical, practical thing. Um,
3: And the older I get, the more I appreciate that in the movies that I watch. Mm -hmm. Like I Mm -hmm. just, I'm, I'm a sucker. Like if I can tell, like that's an actual physical thing. Mm-hmm. I I'm, I'm immediately sold on it. I'm like, "Okay, great. They actually took the time to make a thing and put it in a room with someone else." Yep. Great. I'm in 100% yep.
1: sold. It's it's even like when you watch behind the scenes things and you see these old behind the how they made them and you just see like the level of like love and 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 detail that goes in and how people labor over it and you're like, "This is incredible." And then it's like you see it for CGI, and it's like here's where I typed in some keystrokes, mm-hmm. and uh, these are ones and zeros, and yeah, there you this go. Is what and it's it like, looks like before oh, the blah. render yeah like womp womp it's great (laughs) so uh wallace went on to call gizmo the biggest pain in the butt in the history of mankind saying that it was like a massive challenge to make his motion realistic and that's a huge reason why like the second half of the movie gizmo basically just spends it in billy's backpack because they're like okay we can transport him around like way easier this way it's way easier to shoot it so some of the background on Gremlins, but here is before we again before we dive into the movie. Gremlins is part like of a larger thing where you have like movies like The Goonies and Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. The Karate Kid, E. T. Uh, obviously, the most obvious one. What do you guys think? You know, I have my own thoughts, but I've been babbling on here. What do you guys think? It is about movies from this era that still resonate almost forty years later. Corey Feldman, yes, true,
2: true. But wow. um, anyway, yeah. I actually i wrote a I wrote an article about this about just eighties horror films, and that were geared towards family and children. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it started, you know, like you know Disney tried it a couple times, you know, with. Uh, Mr. Boogie, Watcher in in the Woods um, with, um, you know, something wicked this way comes. And, you know, they, 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 I like those movies. Mm -hmm. I I like both of them, especially something wicked, but they didn't Mm -hmm. really set the box office on fire. But yeah, did Disney
1: co-produce like Sallow or a hundred and days of Sodom? Is that a Disney (laughs) movie? Did I read that somewhere? (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs)
3: No, but I think it <laughs> was on set during it's the production. Okay.
1: It like, I didn't mean yeah. to throw you on. No, oh, I'm that sorry. was
2: great. Uh, but but then there, there was just like all of these movies that were kind of geared towards kids and they were genuinely frightening or contained genuinely frightening elements. You now, like even Ghostbusters, my parents were reluctant for me to see mm-hmm. it when I was, what, six years old when that came yeah. out. Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, there are things in that, like, you know, the rotting corpse that's driving Mm -hmm. the cab and, um, you know, the, even the library ghost at the beginning was, was was just terrifying. And when I finally did see it, it was terrifying, you know? Um, And so I think, I think there was, it felt like there was sort of a genuine trust that children could handle scary Mm -hmm. things. And I like that Um, that, that's touched on occasionally. You know, I think, you know, like, you know, you mentioned Harry Potter, the Sorcerer's Stone has Mm -hmm. some of those elements, Um, you know, but going back to like the Wizard of Oz, it wasn't afraid to have flying monkeys and witches that could actually kill you. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) um, But in the 80s, that just sort of came to a head. And, you know, Steven Spielberg was really responsible for a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, just think of the, you mentioned the Goonies, mm-hmm. these kids are in real peril in that yeah. movie. They, the Fratelli's could, would absolutely no question waste those kids.
3: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I, mean, yep. I mean, so I, I think that, I don't know, there's something about that, that was, is just really effective. Um, and it just, all those edges kind of got worn off when you get into mm-hmm. the nineties. I mean, um, like the last one that really has that edge to me is that is the witches. The nineteen ninety Nicholas Rogue yeah. one. Um it's it's really but then, you know, by the time you get to Hocus Pocus, it's like, uh, eh, let's maybe not make it so scary. Right. Yeah. right. You know, we
3: can we can tone this down. Yeah. Right? And and it's... that's
2: seems to be the trend you know for a long time but in the 80s i mean there was just this real
1: sense of let's just scare the kids to death right see what happens and and brian you just said something there that's interesting you said you know like that the the filmmakers trusted that children could handle scary things And, you know, parents trusted that, you know, their kids, like it might be a little scary, but eventually eventually the kids can handle it. And it's probably good that they do. Psychologically, it's probably good to maybe expose some kids to some of these things in a way that's in a safe environment that you can kind of monitor that you can see. What's really interesting to me is like, we are that generation. Like I am, you know, when this Mm -hmm. came out, I was nine years old and I saw this in Ghostbusters in the theaters that summer and absolutely loved both of them. I tend to be much more permissive in what I let my daughter watch. I'm like, I was Mm going to sneak off and see these movies at 11 like she is now. She can watch them. Um, But most parents would disagree with me. And I think the kind of entertainment that kids are exposed to doesn't reflect what we got to see years ago. And I don't understand why you know it's like, well, parents want to protect their kids. It's like we could handle it. My
3: parents well, disagree think- with you, Mike. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a fairly religious household, as I've as mm-hmm. I've mentioned mm-hmm. before, both mm-hmm. on this podcast and my own. Um mm-hmm but I wasn't allowed to see much. Like I had a gizmo toy growing up. Mm-hmm. I had a little plush gizmo, but that was my only exposure to gremlins. I knew mm-hmm. it was from a movie called gremlins mm-hmm. and I knew that I couldn't see it, but I was told I couldn't see it because it was scary. And I was petrified as a child of everything. Right. Um, and I think, and I'm younger than you guys. I was born mm-hmm. in 83. So I'm, I'm about to turn one when this movie comes out. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so I'm I'm a kind of a, at a, a bit of a distance there because there was mm-hmm. no way I was going to see this in the theater. Um, I didn't see a theater a movie in the theater until the 90s, and that was Prancer. So <laughs> do with that what you will. Mm-hmm. Tis the season, I suppose. But it took me a long time to get into horror just because of how protective my parents were of mm-hmm. what I could watch and what I was exposed to. And I think it. I mean, I think I mentioned the last time or or one time when I was on here about seeing. Oh no, it got cut. Cause it was the, it was the army of darkness episode, but yep. seeing uh, independence day at 13 and not being able to fall asleep that night because I was absolutely terrified of seeing sure. where the alien comes to life, you know? <laughs> so it's like, I, I was just absolutely petrified of that stuff until I got older. And then I started to slowly engage with it and slowly digest it. But I think you've got such a golden age in the eighties of horror where it really kind of is able to come into his own with the, the rise of the slasher genre, the perfection of the creature feature, like all these things kind of come to full fruition. And then in the nineties, there just is this, have we gone too far? Were we too permissive parents these days are more restrictive. And that was, that was of course the atmosphere that I grew up in then was that, much more restrictive atmosphere of, Oh, we can't let him watch this. So I'm kind of coming at this from another side. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, I find, I, I kind of wish I had been born a little earlier. Um, just so I could have had that kind of lax and that permissiveness. Um, you know, I, I remember there was a certain point at which I was no longer allowed to play outside on the street with the neighbor kids. Like I remember that very distinctly and it was
1: like at a time of day or you just couldn't play with those kids, period,
3: period. Like I was, I was allowed to play in our yard and that Mm -hmm. was it. And it was the rise of stuff like stranger danger that was happening when I was very young, probably about five or six. Uh, so right around coming into the nineties. So, and I think there's kind of a lot of different things combining a Mm -hmm. lot of real world, scary stuff that kind of forces everything to kind of tone down a little bit, but, I think it's that permissiveness of the eighties that, that slight edge of transgression that kids like you were able to get a taste of and really fell in love with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course I didn't have the permissiveness. So for right. me, it was like, I was always on the outside looking in all my friends are watching the the Friday, the 13th movies and the nightmare on Elm street movies. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't that That's not for me. So and
1: would now- you just pick up and leave? Like if they, if your friends put in like, You know, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, like, hey, this is the sleepover movie tonight or the Saturday night hangout pizza and hangout movie. Mm -hmm. Would you at that point just like say, you know what, guys, I got to go. Like, I got to go home.
3: Um, The people I hung out with weren't really horror people okay but if if it came to that i would probably just go sit in the other room okay well until the movie was over honestly because mm-hmm. i i'd still want to hang out with my friends i'd still want to be sure. there but mm-hmm. i would just go hang out in the other room for a little bit maybe peek my head in every now and again go yep. oh yeah that's not for me and then maybe peek my head back out but interesting. Yeah. interesting yeah but i i knew my limits and i i still consider myself a person who kind of knows his limits yeah um and of course my limits have expanded i've had Two very good friends, one of whom is my co-host on mm-hmm. uh, disenfranchised who have kind of opened my eyes to a lot of different kind of horror movies and I've gotten way more into them uh, mm-hmm. so it's it's been it's been fun discovering all this stuff that you guys grew up with for yeah. the first time in my like 30s. Yep. so yeah
1: it's I know and I, and I think like there's an element of fun of like you said like, discovering stuff later and like because like there's a lot of things I saw like way too young that I couldn't comprehend. Mm-hmm. That like maybe I haven't gone back and revisited because I'm like ah oh, that was no good and I'm like eh, maybe I would enjoy it more now understanding it more
0: mm-hmm.
1: for me you know and I think there's a lot of great children's movies now and a lot of great kids entertainment now so this is mm-hmm. by no means to bag on it but it feels like kids movies now. The themes of the movie are made for adults, and a lot of the jokes of the movies are made for adults. Was the understanding that, like, when you go to a Pixar movie, like the parents are there with them as well. Um, And Up is like one of the most beautiful and emotionally devastating movies that exist out there like it's just <laughs> it's gorgeous but it mm. deals with a lot of questions that i think maybe like adults would really deal with but then for kids you have like the here's like the talking dog and the the house floats and you have like the super annoying boy scout kid and balloons <laughs> and like all that is for the kids mm, yeah. but the movies themselves like when you're watching it as a kid you're like i don't really get a lot of thematically what they're talking about what I feel like is like these movies, like why Goonies and Gremlins still stick with us in E.T. in particular. Spielberg, Richard Donner, Dante, like all these people making kids movies back then. Um, John, you know, the karate kid with you know, John Ableton. Mm-hmm. Um, they understood that like kids exist on this completely different social and emotional world as adults Um, and for the long for generations like until really the turn of like the 20th century people viewed kids as just miniature adults that they you know they didn't really kind of understand childhood development Mm -hmm. and how brains Mm -hmm. form and what the emotional world of a kid looks like and now you have this generation of filmmakers that understood like, hey, kids can handle big ideas, but you got to do it differently. And they weren't afraid to meet them on this on their level. So Spielberg, like, you know, he's like, he has like your nuclear family, like loving families, like in Poltergeist, but he also introduces things like divorce in movies like E.T. And it's just presented very matter of factly from the kid's point of view. You have movies like Goonies, where you're talking about you know, like losing your home and how scary that would be for our kids. But again, presented from the kid's point of view. And they're done in a visual and, and um, emotional language kids could recognize and identify with. And I know for me, it probably felt, you know, my parents and Brian, maybe yours were different. My parents like didn't talk about emotional things with us. Um, I did not get the birds and the bees talk from my parents. I was basically like, yeah, you're not dating till you're 16. Like that was the talk, <laughs> um, you know, um, and it felt like for the part of the reason these movies really resonated is like, it felt like for the first time, like somebody was like seeing and understanding, like, Hey, you're a person and here are the stuff that you go through.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, I think that's definitely true. So, Like I said before, I think Spielberg, um, I mean, obviously he gets a lot of credit, but I don't know if he gets as much credit for just kind of give it. He, he didn't invent it, but you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to use that word, inventing kid centric horror in the eighties, <laughs> because yeah. you look from poltergeist to, um, gremlins, to um Goonies, to all these, so many of these movies. In, well, in E.T., I know so many people in my age group that are absolutely traumatized by oh, E.T. Yeah. They cannot oh, yeah. watch it because it scares them so much. Mm-hmm. But Spielberg had a hand in all of those, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is another example. Also oh, PG rated movie. That includes Mm -hmm. ripping people's hearts
1: out,
0: Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, You have that. And this is the,
1: the impetus for PG 13, like these movies, PG 13 exists because of Spielberg basically. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, my parents
2: were not averse to like scary movies. It was Mm -hmm. R rated when we were very young, but I mean, by the time I was 10, that had sort of slipped away and they were like, all right, you know, Mm whatever just let us know (laughs) and so uh um so i was they at first they were like "Mm, maybe we shouldn't watch poltergeist it's rated pg okay let's watch it as a family we We watched it as a family we watched indiana jones and the temple of doom as a family by the time um i was in seventh grade my brother and I were renting The Shining and Carrie on Christmas Eve, and we watched mm-hmm. it together. We watched The Shining on Christmas Day Beautiful. when I was in seventh Bravo. grade, which is just like the greatest thing
1: ever. Um, we, we watched <laughs> the movie The Toy in class <laughs> on movie day because it was pg 13 pg in third grade i remember it was third grade oh and my. this is for listeners that aren't familiar with the toy it is an early 80s comedy where jackie gleason a white wealthy man oh my purchases buys richard pryor yep. as a toy for his child i've never and seen it, it was I, it was pg i
3: haven't either what that's that's the dark spot on Richard Donner's resume right there. Yeah, it um, is.
1: Mm-hmm. It is something else, man. I didn't know it that is, was Richard Donner. <laughs> and we could we watch, I didn't either. <laughs> yeah. We we watched that in third grade class, and Unreal. you know. And then a parent found out and complained that we could only watch G rated movies after that. And, you know, at the time you're like, fuck that kid, you know, it was Chris B. I don't, I'm not going to say his lap. I still remember the kid, but I'll just say Chris, Damn B. You,
3: Chris B. Yeah. At
1: the time you're like, but you know, looking back, you're like, you know what? Your mom was you right. Yeah. Yeah. She was right. You <laughs> should say it. Here's the thing. It's
3: so, not the rating. That's the problem. It's the content, it's the content, content the of that
1: movie. Yeah. Um, so I would say the last thing let's say on this is like, I think also when you watch current kids movies, a lot of them infuse it with a lot of current pop culture. Yes. So there's like this immediate timestamp, like this movie belongs in 2021 because like they're talking about like TikTok, you know, like that's in there right away. Mm-hmm. Um, Dante brings things that influenced him to the table. So, you know, you see in the movie, like, Billy and Gizmo watch Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yes. Um, he infuses it with the kind of energy you would get out of like a Looney Tunes car. Like, you know, like Futterman and Miss Dingle, like Miss Dingle getting, you know, thrown out, you know, the window is straight out of Looney Tunes, you Kills know, like that every time. Oh, that yeah. It will
3: never not work for me. Never I love not it. funny. so much. god, Never.
1: Diggle, 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just um, – You know, EC Comics, I think also you see a very large, you know, it's 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 not being driven by, you know, this is what's hot right now. But it's like, hey, I'm going to tap into what like moved me as a kid. And I think to your point, Brian, part of the reason why in the 80s you had so much kid friendly horror, you have a generation of filmmakers that grew up. Going to like 25 cent matinees and seeing, you know, God uh, Godzilla, King of Monsters, yeah. seeing Invasion of Body Snatchers, seeing them saying, seeing, um, you know, I was a teenage Frankenstein. Yeah. Like you could just go and like those movies were made like we need to get the kids out of the house for four hours. Mm-hmm. Here, go see these movies. Here's two bits. Go see yep. them. You know? And then
2: watching the old uh, universal horror movies on TV. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yep.
1: um, and,
2: you know, sneaking EC Comics under their covers because, mm-hmm. you know, it was, no. <laughs> you know, destroying the delinquency. It was leading seduction to the delinquency of the of the, yes. uh, of
1: the world. Yes. Right? Well, I'm trying to think of the name of that book that like. It's, yeah. It, the it Seduction, of the, the seduction yes, of the Innocent. Yes. Yeah. I just wrote about that. So that's why I remember that. Excellent. But, yeah. 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 All right. So before we dive into the movie. 1984, oh, where does this rank in terms of like best year ever for movies? I it's, actually have had a series of
2: articles I've written for Manor Vellum,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: starting with my very first article, making the case for 1984 being the greatest year for horror movies ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, because, I mean, you've got, I, and that was in 1984, you have- uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday 13th the final chapter mm-hmm. then you have Ghostbusters and Gremlins released mm-hmm. on the same day same day yeah that's crazy um you have Nightmare on Elm Street and Silent Night Deadly Night released on the same day as well mm-hmm. um let's see here then you've got you got all you got the terminator you've got and movies that are sort of infused with with um horror elements that aren't necessarily mm-hmm. a- horror movies, you know, Temple of Doom and Ghostbusters and uh The Terminator. And then you have all these indie gems like uh mm-hmm. Streets of Fire and uh and what's um uh, Night of the Comet, you know. Um just sort Don't of Don't forget Dune. Okay. Um <laughs> Wow okay I, I won't forget <laughs> Dune.
3: I, I Dune's great. I'm. I don't know. I'm. A, I'm a David Lynch fan almost yeah. as much as I'm a. I'm a uh, Joe Dante fan. So yeah, that's so,
2: that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I got to throw weird. my love. To Lynch. I was. I was just talking horror movies in particular. Mm-hmm. There. Sure. No. Sure. Right. I, so <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I don't know. know. Do
1: you see those? Do you see those giant worms? That's. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. You got a point there. You got a point there. But we, you know, we mentioned Ghostbuster. We mentioned Gremlins. You get the Karate Kid yeah. in 1984. You get, you know, and like the Karate Kid um did for like dojos and like you know mom and pop like karate schools what like Bobby Orr playing defense for the Boston Bruins did for skating rinks in new England in the 1970s. And that you have all of these skating rinks that Mm -hmm. opened up after the Bruins won the cup with Bobby Orr. you have all these like dojos open up in 1984 because Uh you have like all these kids want to do karate. Um, They obviously (laughs) didn't watch jaws and realize that like nine year olds, you know, will karate chop boards and run uh, and run like as a terror through Amity (laughs) <laughs> um, the real, I think it's a alternate cut of Jaws, or the real, temp, you know, it's not the shark that's the terror; it's these nine year olds going around karate chopping everything. That, that tracks. would have been the, tracks. the picket fences. Yes, but you get, Sorry. you get the natural comes out the summer oh, of eighty yeah. four, one of the mm-hmm. greatest sports movies mm-hmm. of all time. You get um, Beverly Hills Cop. Mm -hmm. You get like, you know, Eddie Murphy's like, I am going to be the megastar of the 80s. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) This is Spinal Tap. The best
2: rock and roll movie ever made. Ever made. And I'm an almost famous fan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm an almost famous fan, but uh, mm-hmm. this is Spinal Tap is the greatest rock and roll. Oh movie yeah.
1: ever. Oh yeah, agreed. <laughs> agreed. Better than better than singles from the early '90s. You mm-hmm. know, again, yes. starring with <laughs> your little appearance from Chris Cornell doesn't really boost it. So...
2: Okay. okay, I'm from <laughs> okay. the Seattle area, so so watching singles, it's like okay, this is I like this
1: movie, but. Sorry, that's just not. <laughs> no.
0: no. Yeah, Singles no, that... as a
1: movie is not, you know, like we, I think I saw Singles like four times in the theater just because like that's Eddie Vedder in an elevator. Like literally yeah. that was the reason <laughs> I was that much like that was my, the birth date of me becoming like a little alt rocker. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, I don't even think that's it on blue. I don't think, can you buy that movie physically? I Singles? Have
2: a DVD. Yeah,
1: DVD. Who knows when? That needs a 4K release. Anyway, <laughs> um, the beat, here's what I wrote down as like the B team of like movies from that year. You have like Footloose, Police Academy, Revenge of the Nerds, 16 Candles. And I would say each of those movies had tremendous cultural and pop culture cachet for their time. Like these weren't movies that came out, did some numbers and then kind of like disappeared into the ether like a lot of movies because there's so much content now uh, where things just kind of like disappear into the ether after you see them yeah. like these are movies that resonated in pop culture for like the rest of the decade yeah oh yeah it's crazy absolutely Yeah, you know, it's nuts to think about some of this stuff all right i want to skip ahead a little bit i'm going to combine that christmas thing with what we talk about later Let's talk about the gremlins themselves. Let's dive into the movie now. Okay. Hell yeah. Um, Let's do it. You know, you have, you know, Mr. Randall Pelter, Randall uh, Peltzer, going into a little shop with his little thing of wares. And he's like, Gotta have, what is this little singing teddy bear here in the corner here? I gotta have it. I've been looking for this thing all over. It's like you'd never heard of it until 10 seconds ago. What are you talking but it's about, sir?
3: So amazing! It's so adorable. Right. Like it right. just has to have. I love that he's like a one-man Ronco. That's what I love. <laughs> is like yeah. he is. He has got Popeil in his crosshairs, baby. Yeah, like yeah, let me, and he goes right into the pitch. Like let me tell you, friend. I make mm-hmm. the illogical logical, and you're just like, do you really though?
1: Like do you do? put you put toothpaste in a box. Like yes, <laughs> really. <laughs> Yeah, and like you you have something like this portable gizmo that doesn't gizmo, this portable (laughs) thing that doesn't fit the human hand. Like the average size, unless you have like giant mitts, like you're not brushing your teeth with that thing. Like it's not convenient in the slightest. Can you imagine trying to shave with that thing? You would be hacked to pieces. Correct. It would be be the face tearing off scene from Poltergeist (laughs) every single day. Just Par- trying to shave.
3: Particularly if you're trying to do it in like an airplane or a train, like he suggests. And you're like, no, those things jostle around. You're trying to shave with this huge clunky thing. No, thank you, Mr. Uh, Peltzer. Not for don't me.
1: Want don't want it. What do we make of the three rules? Like once, you know, the little kid, you know, he sells the mugwai for 200 bucks, which, you know, seems low. Seems like yeah. a pretty low price. Kinda oh, like, yeah. Seems like a lot. I guess given what they're capable of maybe it's like oh we dodged a bullet there like glad maybe he's like i want to get rid of this thing um (laughs) what do we make of the three rules here the three rules are who wants to run through them
2: go for it brian
3: i can tell you want to
1: don't
2: don't expose them to bright light they hate bright light especially sunlight it'll kill them and uh don't get them wet Mm -hmm. who knows why yeah anyway and the rule the most Mm -hmm. important rule the rule that you can never forget no matter how much he cries no matter how much he begs never ever feed him after midnight
0: Mm.
2: and those are just great classic sort of b-movie rules Mm -hmm. that's it i think that's why dante is kind of perfect for this because yeah. the, the guy just, I mean, every movie he has, uh, he brings his own posters to the set of, the, mm. you know, like Matt May. Yep. All those B movie posters oh, yeah. that are all over the theater in that are all Joe's. All mm. those movie magazines that they're reading in their rooms are all his. his stuff, yes.
1: It's, he it's is
2: just the favorite. Martin Scorsese of B movies.
1: Ah.
3: Like, he is su- like Joe and Marty mm. are such big cinephiles. And they, it's clear listening to them talk about movies, how much they absolutely adore Mm -hmm. these films. Whereas Scorsese is like all about, you know, Fellini and, um, uh, the, the archers, Paul and Pressburger. Right. Like he loves these filmmakers and Dante's like, give me James Whale, give me, you know, give me Roger Corman. Corman. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell because like Terrence Stamp directing the hammer horror movies those are the guys he casts like Kevin mm-hmm. McCarthy and Dick Miller. Those guys become his stock players. Like they're in uh-huh. everything he, Dick Miller is literally in everything he has ever directed mm-hmm. yep. um, to the point where I'm like, Joe, I don't know if I want you to direct anything because Dick can't be in it anymore.
2: Right. Like, well. right yeah.
3: I mean, I do still want him to direct cause I love Joe yeah. Dante, but by the same token, like it without Dick, it's kind of missing mm-hmm. something. Right. But I mean, like that's the stuff he loves and to listen to him, listening to him talk about, like the universal monsters and the horror movies that he grew up on is like listening to Martin Scorsese talk about like, like a, a you know, a, a Italian a art or film or right. yeah, mm-hmm. like that. It's, it's that same level of passion. And I'm just, I ever, and it's one of the reasons I love Dante is because I mean, I don't think Scorsese has any pretension to him. It's just the stuff that he likes is, mm-hmm. is considered it's, pretentious. Yeah but Dante seems like a, a more approachable version of, of Marty. Like he's mm-hmm. always got his vest and his denim shirt and Marty's always in his little suit. Like, I just, I just want to see those two guys get together and just talk about the movies they love. Yeah. I would watch 10 hours of that.
2: Not oh, absolutely. What's funny though, is, you know, I, I've seen lists of Marty, um, listing out these great b movies and i've seen joe dante list out those a-listers too yeah so they they probably would just be so engaging to listen to i would love to listen to those two. go at it It, it
3: filmmakers
1: love film if you're a great filmmaker it's you're a great filmmaker in part because you love and you study film like it's correct i don't think it's just something that you can do without putting in the work behind the scenes and studying up on it like to me you know John Carpenter and his love for like Howard Hawks movies in particular, mm-hmm. and how that shines through mm-hmm. um, to me. Like he is the best example of like a a list talent director that makes B movies. That he's like I have. He has all of the chops of a Scorsese, but he is chosen, and partly chosen, and partly it's the box he was put in right. in terms of like this is what we want to make. This is what you're going to make, and he does it with a sort of talent that maybe the only other, you know, like a Wes Craven, um, yeah. who has three movies like in the '70s, '80s, and '90s with Last House on the Left, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Scream that completely like gal, not revolutionize horror, but so much galvanize what's going to happen, what's going to be, you know, the driving force in horror for the next like five, six, seven years after oh, yeah. that movie. He revolutionizes 100%. the genre mm-hmm.
3: three times. Who else can mm-hmm. say that about right. any
1: genre? Right. You know, and they're not, they're not recognized for that. Like, because of, you know, I, I don't think it's in, in a, I, you know, I know a lot of people hate the term elevated horror and I, I can understand why that is a, you know, it's this like elevated horror or if a movie, like when I remember when it chapter one came out and it was incredibly mm-hmm. successful um, there was like an article like, is it chapter one even a horror movie? And I'm like, or is it more of a coming of Jave drama? I'm like, look
2: oh, how the I hell can, can
1: you make that
0: argument?
2: Make
1: rip kids yes. arm
2: off. It's not a horror movie. Right? That's
1: my point. Like the Oh my god. You know, I don't care if the next ninety minutes of your movie are, is literally a stream of clown cars coming out, where people pie one another in the face, like <laughs> if in the first five minutes of your movie an eight-year-old gets his arm eaten by an intergalactic demon yep. that can shape-shift into a clown with rows of teeth, like guess what? That's a horror movie. <laughs> ding, yeah. ding, ding. I don't care if like. If you if you intersplice like the rest of the movie is just like we just cut Kramer versus Kramer into the rest of it, like you have a horror movie at that point. Like that's just hundred percent, no doubt, no like it,
3: doubt. I it it makes me wonder like what people even classify as horror. Like how if you're looking at it chapter one and you're walking away going oh, what a what a touching coming of age story like. Did you even watch um, it? Chapter one.
1: Didn't even have the gang bang in it. How much of a coming of age story. <laughs> can it really be, you know, um, it's it's there. I am. Well, 49 minutes in. we've Now officially <laughs> I've gone too far. Um, no, but it's like, it, it's because this is it's perception that horror can't be successful. That horror right. has to be grimy. That horror, there has to be less than somehow. And I would argue that, you know, horror allows us to kind of play in a space and play with these topics and examine these topics from perspectives that are so much more personal and intimate than almost anything else is going to provide you. Um, and you get to tackle these big things like, you know, rampant consumerism uh, in a way that like, doesn't have to like, it can treat the audience with a bit more respect and doesn't have to like grandstand for them. Um all of this is a long way to ask. What do we think of these rules? Because like those three rules—that's what we we're talking about, right? We we're talking about the three rules. They're a pretty tall order. Like they are. If you had a pet gerbil, like this would be tough to, you know, something not that was at a close, can, yeah, you know, like <laughs> the, the, the water how thing not... is an
3: impossibility. Like what is it, if it's too humid? Mm-hmm. Is that like is that the moisture in the air? Right. Is that enough to do it? Like and. Mm-hmm. I love it because they provide the movie with stakes right away. Mm-hmm. And you know, like these three things are going to be damn near oh, impossible.
2: Yeah. Right.
3: Yeah. Like you, you know that everything's going to go wrong at some point, but like these three rules set up everything you need to know about the mm-hmm. movie. It sets up how you defeat the monster, how you, the monster gets out of control and ultimately how the monster gets created And right. I mean, so you basically, you lay out the rules in reverse order. Um,
1: yeah, and the one thing that always I always got stuck on is like, okay, don't feed it after midnight. When does that expire? Like, yeah, is it sunrise is it? There's <laughs> not any sort of like, can I can he have breakfast? You know, like what when it's cross when time he, zones. Ooh, yeah. Like, aren't that's we really, always
3: technically after, after some midnight, midnight or other? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. That's what, what I would happen. Yeah, so that's where it got a little. But it's very simple, like mm-hmm. in terms of like. You know, just storytelling. It's a really simple, wonderful device. But then I get really hung up with these esoteric details that really nobody should.
2: Again, they're B movie rules. They're not. They're not. They don't necessarily have to make total logical sense. You know, and that's that's not the point. You know, it's sort of like you. They're also because Mm -hmm. they're not completely logical. They're also setting it up to say you're in a fantasy and you're in for a ride. <laughs> yes. You know, and I mean, and, Dante responds to those criticisms and gremlins
3: too. They're, I mean, yep. they're making a lot of these same arguments and, and how does Dante in the argument, a gremlin pops out of the console and eats them.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in other yeah. words, shut up and just have fun. Enjoy the movie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Enjoy the movie. Yeah. Or yeah. Hulk Hogan will break your arms. <laughs> um, so w- before we talk about the gremlins themselves, gizmo as a character what is this dude was everywhere for a few years you know what do we think of like the little mogwai oh look at that you are wearing a brian you're showing me your butt i didn't know (laughs) okay all right you're holding up a gremlins doll i thought you were like you're nope
0: (laughs) just everyone a year
1: just for Since podcasting is such a visual medium, um, Stephen is wearing a Gremlins Christmas sweater with a huge gizmo in the middle of it. Brian's got his gizmo plush doll, and I am wearing a Boston Red Sox cap. There we go. Just to
3: complete the trifecta,
1: really. I have a t-shirt on under my sweater, and it says Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And it's like Humpty Dumpty just (laughs) running through leaves looking super happy. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that so much. and It's one of my new favorite shirts. Um, That's so great. So what do we think of like Gizmo as a – I got to admit, like watching it as an adult, like – Kind of like you're kind of boring, dude. No, no way. No, the okay. Best. Th- Tell I, me I, why I'm wrong. Okay,
2: Steven's letterbox review. Uh I I read it the <laughs> yesterday. So, you know, that that was just like, he's my best friend and I love him. It's- yeah, Gizmo's my oh, best friend and I love him to death. He is he is the he is the very best. Like
3: he is just I don't know. And and again, part of it is the fact that I had a gizmo plush as a kid. So Mm -hmm. like, I love gizmo even before I liked, even before I liked gremlins, I loved gizmo. Mm -hmm. So like, it's, it's all about gizmo, but like, I don't know the, I I think the real magic trick of gremlins is gizmo Mm -hmm.
0: that Mm -hmm. this
3: thing is so, I mean, he is a teddy bear, but he is also I mean, he's it's an activator for kids, right? He's just this cute, adorable thing. His he is perfectly proportioned. It's the giant eyes, it's the giant ears. And you look at this thing and I don't know. For me, I just think I must protect him at all costs.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: He is he is the way. It's it's the baby Yoda thing. Like yes. I prefer Gizmo to Baby Yoda. And mm-hmm. I have I am also drinking from my Baby Yoda cup, my Grogu mm-hmm. cup here. So, like, I, I, I do love me some some Baby mm-hmm. Yoda, but Gizmo, Gizmo must be protected above all things.
1: I don't like, think Baby Yoda exists without. If it Gizmo. wasn't for Gizmo, yeah. oh
3: hell no, hell, Baby Groot does not exist mm-hmm. without Gizmo. Like,
1: yeah.
3: like Gizmo is the prototypical small, cute thing in mm-hmm. this otherwise very yeah. grown up kind of sensibility, and and again, it's. I, 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 You guys were talking about the fact that Gremlins is kid-driven, and I'm thinking, is that true? And then I look at Gizmo, and I think, of course it's true. Mm-hmm. Like, of course it's true. There is no more toyetic character in the history of cinema right. than Gizmo. Mm-hmm. And I love him, and he is my best friend, and he must it's, be protected at all
1: costs. Yeah, if you're a little kid and you're seeing this movie, like, you know, nine years old, ten years old, you're like, here is this tiny thing that I could care for. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like E. T. is pretty much his own, you know. And people, and I think E. T. is a different appeal because he meets kids at their level, mm-hmm. um, you know. And he's I think a kid he's himself, a, he's a kid. Of, you're right, he's a child himself. But then you see Gizmo, and it's like, okay, now that like I, I now like after seeing E. T., now I want to care for something myself, and like, oh, here's this tiny, cute little thing, and I see your point, Brian. You were going to chime in, so well, I was going to say ahead. that I remember, boy, that that summer of.
2: 19 or that f- the fall after the summer of 1984, mm-hmm. September of uh, 1984, going back to school. Mm-hmm. I thought you would think it would be Ghostbusters everywhere in the kids with the kids stuff. Mm-hmm. Nope. It was gremlins everywhere. I mean, the lunch boxes, the, the t-shirts and everything that I remember from that time was gremlins. Yeah. And uh, cause this movie was so marketed to kids so mad oh, yeah. the kids and in, was... in a way that uh, some adults thought was irresponsible <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, because there is a, a, a switch i mean the movie kind of yeah. lulls you in with gizmo gizmo's mm-hmm. cute gizmo's cuddly gizmo's mm-hmm. sweet he's nice and then you know he you spill water on him and he Right. Spawns a bunch of assholes. And you, you know, and <laughs>
1: you you visually see that that switch, that bait and switch on screen mm-hmm. when the science teacher is, uh-huh. you know, when he realizes like, okay, this thing has gotten out and it's like hiding under a table, and you see him like slowly approach the table and slowly get down to the level of the gremlin who you still haven't seen represented on screen yet. And he reaches his arm under. And the next thing you know, like he's eaten and killed. Yeah. Um, so you literally see that bait and switch like this fun little toy, yeah. you know, toy cartoon like kind of kids movie like, oh, the wacky adventures of Gizmo, the Mogwai. What wacky shenanigans will he get in to like now we're going to murder half the town. In one <laughs> night, you know? Now, now we're going to be running over like old racist dudes with their snow plows and
0: Kentucky um, Harvester.
1: Thank you. Uh, And we're going to be like shooting old women out of like their windows at 50 miles an hour. So hell yeah. Hell yeah. One of the things Mm -hmm. that I
2: think is really funny is when I was a kid, I didn't have a plush gizmo. I had a little stripe, um, like action figure that Mm -hmm. was like a bendy thing, you know, where you could pose its arms and stuff. Yeah. And that was the only piece of gremlins like memorabilia that I Mm -hmm. had was from, from 84 was, Look at that! Was there it the, is. Was the little stripe, um, mm-hmm. you know, thing? I wish I still had that thing because it was. Did
1: it come awesome. with
2: accessories like a pack of smokes and a
1: toy? No, gun, no, you know? it was
2: like, just the. Yeah, that would have been. I was awesome. going to say it, it, it wasn't was bendy. Quite the, it wasn't quite
1: the NECA era, you, you know. know the the eighties, you would probably, I mean, the eighties, you got toy candy cigarettes. Still, I remember, hell yeah, you know, it was like no, like yeah, that's all right. You Got to learn something I remember you a know?
2: teacher that would hand out candy cigarettes as a reward mm-hmm. when I was in elementary school. Best teacher ever. It's yeah, then, it's then she, she got told by the by the uh, administration that she couldn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: So she handed out shots of, she handed out little like bottles yeah. of whiskey, the little yeah. individual. All right, you know, here's a little fireball for you, kid. Have have at it. Recess is going to be fun today. I mean,
3: the eighties were a more permissive time.
1: Let's yeah. be honest; they were all, all all down the way. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. So I, <laughs> okay. So we get the appeal here. Now here's my when you, now, could Mogwai kill? Because what confuses me is like the the idea of like okay don't feed it after midnight it'll become this total monster but from the minute gizmo gets wet like right when he starts popping off these things and i think my parents told me that's how you were made yeah that's how babies are made it's <laughs> you like,
2: spilled water on
1: you yeah, yeah. you spilled some night daddy spills mo- water and mom and a on her back, and the next thing you know, there's a baby. Like, you know, that's that was probably the sex talk in my house because we were such a sex negative house. Um it's I think amazing mom, you were
3: ever born, Mike.
1: It really I think my mom was like, I'm still a virgin, you know, I'm 75 and still a virgin, just so you know. So or she was like, No, I was saying no, just so you know, your dad was a virgin, like me, not so much, but your dad he was, you know. Oh god, God rest his soul." <laughs> And again, this is what happens when I don't have a co host to kind of reel me in and like ahead of time. Like, so Mike anyway, Snidian
3: after dark,
1: after dark. Um, <laughs> but like the Mogwai, aside from Gizmo, like they were all assholes, yeah, totally,
3: absolutely. i it, and I think I, I've read and I've not actually read this novelization, but I've read that the novelization endeavors to explain mm-hmm. why Gizmo is the only good uh-huh. Mogwai. Okay. Um, and why the other ones are are all assholes. I again I've not read it. I don't know what the explanation is, okay. but I'm told that there not is one.
2: Shelf there. Do you know the explanation? Then? I haven't read it. I have it oh. over on my shelf, but I haven't read it. Brian. I just picked it up like uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago to be honest. <laughs> Brian was like, I'm going to be talking gremlins better buy
3: that novelization. <laughs> what? Too busy to read it.
1: Damn. Oh, <laughs> damn it. where it goes. It's, you know, there's a, it's a, like, he's like an escapee from some sort of alien planet. He's like the last of his kind or something, although, you know, something like that. But what, what's, you know, blows my mind. is like, well, if these things came from gizmo, shouldn't they retain some of his, but no, like they're, you know, again, from the get go, like they're stringing the dog up outside,
3: like Be- that's as Mogwai.
1: Yeah. they're like, huh? The, and and mm-hmm. by the way, Billy does not seem even, you know, like he's like, oh, maybe like, old Lady Dingle did it. You know, the woman who needs a chairlift to get up the stairs. Maybe she picked up this dog, you know. I mean, she Billy's, does have it out for that dog. Billy is not very bright. <laughs> um, yeah, Billy is not a very bright character, but he's kind of like, Oh, my dog got strung up outside. I guess I'll bring him in and we'll never speak of it again, right? You know, just, um, Jeez. I understand that the gremlins have like the tools to be more efficient as killers, like, they have the claws, the teeth, they're a lot more limber, they're faster. But do you think that like the Mogwai could, like, could? Spike or Stripe have actually killed anybody as a Mogwai or is that just, or are they just mischievous, but not killers?
3: I am inclined to think because I mean, the gremlins themselves are agents of chaos, Mm -hmm. which is why I love them. Um, As much as I love Gizmo, I also love the gremlins. They are wonderful and they are delightful little creatures that are absolutely terrible. Um, but I still love them. Mm-hmm. Um, like, but I mean, they're, they are, they're agents of chaos. And I think what happens is because they come from Giz, maybe it's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing. Like they are the dark mirror to Gizmo. Mm-hmm. And then when they transform, they, they become fully realized. Like they, they enter their final form. So they become fully capable of what they've always desired to do. Are they capable of killing Maybe they are, and maybe they, but maybe they also realize that if they can reach their final form, they will be the perfect machines to inflict the maximum amount mm-hmm. of chaos. And maybe, maybe that's their ultimate goal is to, once they've been spawned, well, okay, now we need to like, get transformed into some green mm-hmm. dudes and fuck shit up. Yeah. like. Like maybe that's the ultimate goal, or maybe they there is literally no goal, and they are just pure id, Mm -hmm. pure chaos. And I kind of love I I kind of love both of those
1: readings, if I'm being real honest. They're mini Warner Herzogs, basically, is what eventually
3: (laughs) I didn't think it was possible for me to love gremlins more, but Mike, you made it happen. I don't know how you did it, but thank you for
2: that. That's good. You've given me a wonderful gift, Mike.
1: Excellent. Um,
2: Brian, your thoughts. Gosh, I, I don't think I can say it better than that. Oh, Thank was, you. That was
1: that was really good. But um, well, why did you? You know what? Then maybe you shouldn't be on the show. Maybe now. I should. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe maybe I'll just hang up now. Sorry, that was, no, I, I, cut I that part. I don't out. know. I don't know um, who should
3: be more insulted, Brian. You no, or me. I, mean,
1: I will cut that part out. Um, <laughs> I so um, I don't care. So the um, you know, when you say that, Stephen, like that makes me think that like the murder itself is never the goal for the Gremlins. That. Because Futterman comes back for Gremlins 2. So obviously, mm-hmm. you know, they don't kill him. He should think he shouldn't be alive. He should be he dead. should not be no. alive.
3: Like, he and got run over by a of Kentucky the, harvester. That's almost part of the house.
2: joke, though, of Gremlins 2. It is. You know, Gremlins 2 is is all about the joke. Um, yeah, whereas this it one is. Is, a, is a little bit I mean there there are some things that um that are all about the joke in this as well. Mm-hmm. But this really does have an element where it's all about the scare too Mm, yeah there's really uh this one forgive the this term but it really does have teeth to it Mm -hmm. you know it really does have um uh stakes you know where i mean when people die in gremlins 2 it's almost like it's a cartoon (laughs) Whereas it is you know like like, you know leonard malton being strangled by a roll of a reel of film you know i mean mm-hmm. it, it's funny you know Whereas cinema you know, and i mean it's not that it's like when deagle shoots out the window that's hilarious i'm sorry that's right. right no but it's gold because but, but, her legs are pointing straight up <laughs> i mean it's just well i mean she's also the most hated character in the right. movie you know I mean, so she's I think
3: ebenezer scrooge and mr potter mr. all rolled yeah. into the one
2: there's a there's sort of a comeuppance element in her mm-hmm in her death. Whereas with, uh, you know, rock and Ricky Rialto or whoever, you're yeah. not feeling quite. So it's like, you feel their loss. I mean, the Futterman's are, you know, right. even, even though he's got his issues, you know, oh, he's played by,
1: we're going to talk about Futterman. We, we and...
2: sure will. And I have some thoughts on that too, but mm-hmm. I mean, because he's Dick Miller, you're like, you miss yeah. him, you know, yeah. when, when, when he's supposedly killed. And so I think that, you know, the, and you know the serious danger, like his mom's put in and stuff, the scratches, mm-hmm. and the you know that whole kitchen scene and the kitchen you know, the,
1: scene. Oh my the, gosh! Yeah. Let's talk the kitchen scene. Because I wanted to go into yeah. what elements of this movie really scared you as kids, uh, or as an adult when you saw it, because this movie could still scare adults too, right? Yeah. But the kitchen scene in particular is like it's awesome and terrifying it's
3: the reason I will never be able to listen to the song. Do you hear what I hear mm-hmm. the same way ever again? Um, like it completely ruined slash changed that song for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's, it's the way that Dante kind of slowly ramps that tension.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's, it's the the way that he kind of just slowly and you, cause you're in it from her perspective the whole time. And the way he just quietly turns it up and her, peeking around the corner and that gremlin who's like in face in the pie kind of looks up and like, what did I just hear? Mm
0: -hmm. And then she like
3: sneaks back and he kind of dives back in and you're just like, what is she going to do? Like it's, it's the buildup of the thing that for me is what really does it. And then you get like the wacky gory kills Mm -hmm. of the gremlins by the mom that are just pure iconography. Like it's, it's one of the reasons I think this movie is so indelible is, that scene and what she does mm-hmm. with those gremlins with those gadgets that they're they're not good for what they're designed for but they're mm-hmm. really good at killing gremlins I'll tell you right. that mm-hmm.
1: oh she uses the microwave yep uh-huh. which is yeah you know, what does she use from the husband's things I think she's just using standard kitchen thing, thing. the yeah. blender okay. thing it's the blender yeah yeah, yeah. is a pelter creation yeah okay I, okay yeah. um but you're right like mom gets to be a complete badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I mean, never yeah. happens in these no and she even like when you watch this movie like she looks a little bit like Sigourney weaver like similar hairstyle dark yeah, hair she point, even yeah. looks a little bit like her um and she's just using like a can of Raid. she's using a kitchen knife she's mm-hmm. using the microwave like whatever is at her disposal to like take down the gremlins like and it's just like a badass mom moment um but, like, what's wonderful is like when the gremlins die, like, they're, they're just, it's like watching a bag of pus explode, like, the syrupy yeah. green goo. So um, great. And I'm sure, like, the reason they use green instead of red is it could get you. I, the minute Easy that rated. blood is yeah. red, you're mm-hmm. going to be in a rated R movie at that Correct. point. Like, no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I. Imagine like parents watching the microwave scene and being absolutely traumatized. Like that would keep me up as a pa- young parent being like, is my kid, what are they going to put in the microwave to watch explode? Cause they're too right. young to understand, you know, what's going yeah. on. Correct. And I think
2: that's a fair comment too, because I remember, like I said, I was about six when this came out. Mm-hmm. and um, the kitchen scene was the scene that everybody talked about at school. Yeah. I mean, this was... How could you not as a kid? Yeah. Right? It was like, yeah, they put him in the microwave and he blows up and they mm-hmm. throw him in the blender and everything. And um, that's that's what really stuck with kids. Yeah. And I remember thinking about, oh, I didn't know that things blew up in the microwave. No. You know, because I was that young, you know? And so... It's really kind of, kind of something, you know, and I think it's a, it's a realistic
1: worry of some as of the a, parents at the time, you know, as a kid, there is definitely a part of your brain that goes, what else? And I'm not saying you're going to put like, oh, gremlins made people put like that. their family cat in the microwave, like, oh, right, you know, right. you know, uh, or like grandma, pop your head in and like, just try to push her <laughs> in, you know, um. But it's like you would would look at that and be like, well, what if I put in like this, like, you know, what else can I put in to make things explode? Mm -hmm. Um, Because it doesn't like the explosion, the the gremlin like kind of exploding in the Mm -hmm. microwave. It's not a quick thing. Like it goes in there, she turns it on, and there's a good five, six seconds where like mm -hmm. you see it expanding and the colors change. It's not instantaneous. And like that, you know. I was a kid once I loved gross shit. <laughs> yeah. This is gross shit. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, also
2: related to that, uh, as a, when I first saw this, the things that really disturbed me and really scared me, um, I thought the gross stuff was cool. Okay. So the mm-hmm. microwave and stuff, that was cool, but, the gremlin jumping out of the Christmas tree and her like, the one. wrestling with the Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. That really freaked me out. Oh, and yeah. the other thing was the, the shot that kind of moves in on the science teacher when he's laying face down on the floor and he's got mm-hmm. the hypodermic the needles. In his the needles. Yeah. Terrified me mm-hmm. more than anything else were those two things. I mean, just this idea that this, Symbol of joy and, you know, everything that's great about being a kid mm-hmm. could attack you <laughs> and yeah. try and rip your face off was yeah. so
1: scary to me. And what oh, yeah. was it that the gremlins ate that, you know, caused them, you know, the Mogwai ate to cause them, they ate like a candy bar. They ate um the fried chicken, fried chicken, chicken you or know, sandwich. like the kind of comfort food as a kid mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. you're going to want, you know, it means like, oh, no, like that's. Kind of it's you know not like they're eating this weird exotic thing or there's this weird exotic ritual. It's like, you mean candy could do that to me? Like that will mess you up. Um the pool scene. Uh um, that's for me, honestly, that's the most indelible image of this mm-hmm. movie for me,
3: is just that shot of the pool. Like just it, like
2: boiling and bubbling and everything. I
3: when that meme was going around uh Facebook it's like your favorite shot from a horror movie, mm-hmm. I came about this close to posting that image mm-hmm. like five different times because it is I mean, Gremlins is my favorite horror franchise and Mm -hmm. just, but that image and the way Dante frames it and films it is, I mean, it's, it's when the bottom falls out for me because you realize, oh shit, these things are everywhere now. Mm -hmm. Like even as an adult, even though I know Gremlins, that's the whole point. They're everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like that's where it dropped. And because the pool becomes this like bright fluorescent green and you got the bubbles and the boiling, like these giant bubbles just like coming up out of it. And that's, I don't know, for me, whatever, like, that's the idea that this one thing is enough of a threat that you're already behind it. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, there's Lord knows how many more. And that again, that for me, that's just when the bottom falls out. And you're like, Oh, shit, it's on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, so we are just getting started here with this episode on Gremlins, so now is a good time for us to maybe take a break, and we are going to be back with part two of our Gremlins episode with Brian and Steven later this week, so be on the lookout for that in your podcast feed. Speaking of which, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Go over to Apple, over to iTunes, over to Spotify or Stitcher. Leave us a review and a five-star rating. It does help a ton of folks find us. Uh, We hope you're enjoying this episode. We got a ton of very cool stuff lined up for you, including Gremlins 2 in just a couple weeks before we hit the ground running uh, in 2022 with January. So we'll be back in just a few days with part two of our Gremlins coverage. Make sure you tune in and catch that. The second part of the discussion is fan-fucking-tastic, if I do say so myself.